people in tears. Sorrow and tears are a necessary component for Christ's sacrifice on the cross because when one is sorrowful, then it means that they are truly, most of the time, it means that they are truly remorseful over the sins or what they have done. Christ is sorrowful on our behalf. He shows that He takes on, assumes, the very weaknesses, the very defects of the fall of Adam. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam did not undergo tears and sorrow and pain and fear uh, because he was in a context where um, he was never in the position to undergo sorrow, tears, and pain. Christ, though, the eternal Son of God, shows uh, how low he becomes by assuming these defects, and that is he assumes sorrow, tears, and pain, but for you, saints, to show a true remorse and contrition over the sins of his people, now we want to consider another aspect of the sacrifice of Christ, um, as an aspect that many uh, talk about much of, um, but I think it's a lot of times miss and misses the mark. We want to talk about the love of Christ on the cross, the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. So just as we talk about the sorrow of Christ, um, it's not merely just the sorrow and the tears that Christ puts forth whereby the Father sees and is satisfied, but rather it's the love. It's the love that Christ shows. Because you can't have sorrow without also having a deep love for something. A deep love for something. Christ loves His creation. And out of deep love for His creation, He weeps over their sin. He loves His Father. So he goes to the cross and shows and demonstrates his great love. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now here's the dilemma. You have one dying for another, for us. St. Paul tells us that Christ's sacrifice is a pleasing aroma or fragrant aroma to God. How is Christ's sacrifice a pleasing aroma? Are we happy when someone dies? Well, we're never happy when someone dies. But how is it that this death of Jesus Christ is a pleasing aroma to God? When we've never experienced someone dying, um, and we are happy over that. We see it as a fragrant aroma Christ's sacrifice then, I would argue, is a supreme act of worship to God. A supreme act of worship to God. To satisfy divine justice, the Father accepts Christ's sacrifice because of the love and obedience that's displayed. That's a summary of essentially all I'm going to say. If there's nothing else you remember, remember this, that Christ's sacrifice is a sacrifice of love. And the Father accepts Christ's sacrifice because of the love that He's demonstrating. Because of the love that He's demonstrating. Because of our sin, we owe to God a sacrifice that is most pleasing. The question is this, then what constitutes a most pleasing sacrifice to God? God sees a sacrifice, now what makes Him say, I accept that sacrifice? What type of sacrifice is God looking for? Now, there are many who want to say the reason why God accepts the sacrifice of His Son 
was because Jesus Christ was the only one who could absorb and exhaust the anger, the wrath, and the fury of God. So God was going to hit us, and right before He was going to hit us, Jesus steps in the picture, and He takes the blow for us. And because we, or rather Christ takes the blow for us, God is able to let out all of His anger and frustration He's built and had for us for since Adam fell in the garden. I would argue this afternoon, though, saints, and hear me now, it's not the physical death and the sufferings of Christ that are most pleasing to the Father. It is not the physical death or sufferings of Christ that are most pleasing to the Father. In other words, when Christ is on the cross, suffering for us, the Father is not getting his jollies. He's not, he's not happy over it. Rather, it's the love and the obedience that's displayed that the Father finds most pleasing and thereby satisfied. It's not the physical sufferings per se, but it's the love that Christ shows forth in His sufferings, that He will suffer. Let's answer the first question, that is, what's the nature of sacrifice? There are many ways in which we talk about sacrifice in the English language. But for our study today, we want to consider that sacrifice, or the sacrifice that Christ offers up, is an act of justice. Is an act of justice. What that simply means is this. We owe God X, and we give to God X because He's owed that. Simply put. God is owed X, and we give to God X, X meaning whatever it is, because God is owed that. Because of who God is, we don't ask questions. Because He rightfully is owed a certain due proportion of our time, of all of who we are, and in our case here, a sacrifice, then we give it to Him. Now, let's ask the question, what makes a most pleasing sacrifice? What makes a most pleasing sacrifice? So we know we owe to God a sacrifice. Then what makes a pleasing sacrifice to God. What makes a pleasing sacrifice? A sacrifice of justice is a visible sign that is offered to God as a testimony of an inward reality. Again, a sacrifice of justice is a visible sign, something that you can see, that's offered to God as a testimony of an inward reality. Of an inward reality. In other words, we owe to God a sacrifice of justice. And out of love for who God is, a visible sacrifice is offered up. Again, because of the love, the inward charity, the love that we have within us, we say, Here, God, we know this, you know, in Christmas time. Uh, you give. If you receive, um, if you receive a, a ball of yarn, you know, from someone, as opposed to maybe a diamond ring, right? You would say that this is a visible representation of what you think of me. The, the visible sign of the gift is, is, is really coming from an inward reality. And this is how we are to think of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The nature of Christ's sacrifice is one of justice. And in order for God to be satisfied with the sacrifice, 
He must, we must, Christ must offer an outward gift, but also it must be coupled with an internal reality. It must be coupled with an internal reality. In other words, God, I love you so much, I give you this. What does Christ give? His spotless, perfect body. We see this in Scripture, that God will not accept anything less. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 say this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon the altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer the, uh, when you offer, uh, those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Here we see that God's charge against the priests is that they are offering polluted food upon the altar. They're offering lame and sick animals upon the altar. And God is saying, well, you wouldn't even give that to your governor. So why are you giving that to me? You see, but the response of the priests were saying, okay, we know that we're offering polluted food, but how have we polluted you? How is offering polluted food a visible sign? How does that mean that we have polluted you? In other words, what they're saying is, yes, we are, they accept the charge that we are offering polluted food upon the altar, but essentially what the priests are saying is, well, how is that showing you dishonor? And what these priests are saying essentially is, our polluted food upon the altar represents an inward reality of how we think of you. Polluted food for a polluted God. Essentially, that's what they're saying. You are worth lame and sick animals, God. You are worth this visible sign that shows that you are not worthy of an animal that is spotless. What these people are offering then outwardly exposes what they think of God inwardly. And likewise, when we come to worship service saints, even now, a long break, right? But it's time to worship God. And outwardly, we must show what we think about God inwardly. Even at this very moment, we must show outwardly to God, not to me, not for the sake of giving me the honor and respect of of, uh, staying awake or whatever, but what are you showing to God outwardly? God wants the best. And God will not accept anything less other than the best. Both not both outwardly, but also inwardly. Deuteronomy 17.1 and Leviticus 22.22 speak of God saying, you must not present to me anything less than a perfect spotless sacrifice. But why would God want the best of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? Why? What's the big deal about the best of an animal sacrifice? <sighs> Will be the reason why, saints, because a sacrifice that is pure and spotless reveals a heart that is truly sorrowful over sin. A, a sacrifice that is spotless, 
a sacrifice that is not blind, that is not lame, represents an internal reality that you are and truly am sorrowful over sin. Saints, we know this in our own lives. How many times have you, myself included, have we been so cut to the heart over our sin that we've done something so egregious that we don't want anyone to know, but God knows that we've been so cut to the heart over what we have done, whereby it motivates us to want to live to God better. Us thinking, you know, shamingly, that by our outward appearance, our obedience, that we can make up for <laughs> what we have done. Well, saints, the type of sacrifice that God desires mostly is not merely an outward sign, but more so an inward heart posture. God is not really interested. I mean, He does want it, but He's more interested in the manner in which you present the sacrifice. The manner in which you present the sacrifice. Sort of like when myself, when rent is paid, I almost am tempted to take the money and just throw it at the landlord. Here, Take it. There's no joy in me having to pay rent. But God does not want that type of attitude toward giving to him what he's owed and giving to him what he's due. You see, saints, not the gift that God wants. Not the gift in isolation, but the outward gift that flows from an inward contrition of heart. The inward contrition of heart. Think of ourselves, saints. What do you desire most when you are at odds with someone, when when you were friends with one and suddenly that that one person um, said something to you and you no longer are friends to them because you were offended? What do you want from them most? Well, you don't necessarily want a car from them. You don't necessarily want a house or food. But you want to know from them that they are truly sorrowful over what they've done. You want, you want to see their heart on display in front of you. That's what you want from them. You want someone who is truly sorrowful and knowing what they have done. Not merely just, I'm sorry, but it's let me tell you the ways in which I am sorry. Let me show you how much I've offended you. Not merely just outwardly, but also inwardly. And saints, this is not merely just, you know, me putting our own human experience onto God in Scripture, but rather this is what God says. Psalms 51, 16-17 For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I will give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God desires truly remorseful Contrition of heart. Even even saints, when you do sin, hey, you can pray a long prayer if you want. You can pray the most elaborate prayer and quote the most scripture that you that you that you want to. But what God desires most is: Are you truly sorrowful? Are you truly sorrowful over your sin? And you can say less words and be more sorrowful, and God will accept that than say a myriad of words and not be sorrowful. And God will not be pleased with that. Again, the sacrifices that God finds delight in are one of a proper heart posture. Do you really truly believe that you're sorrowful? 
And that one that visibly offers to God what's rightly due to him. God, I am so cut to the heart that here's my best. Here's my best. How does this relate to Christ then? How does this relate to Christ? With regard to his sacrifice. We know that God desires the best. We have to ask this question then. Does Jesus Christ give the best? God desires the best. Does Jesus Christ then give the best? We cannot offer a proper sacrifice then how does Christ then offer a perfect sacrifice for us? What makes our Lord's sacrifice so pleasing to the Father, saints? Is it the blood that is spilt that is pleasing to Him? Is it the marks on Christ's body that He bears that's most pleasing to the Father? Is it, or rather can we say that the Father wants the Son to die on the cross? Is that what the Father wants? And I would argue that what makes the, the Lord's sacrifice most pleasing to the Father is the inward love and obedience of the Father that's being demonstrated. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ is demonstrating how much He loves the Father. How much He loves the Father. Saints, we must not think that God is so angry that in order to appease Him and wipe away our sin, Jesus must jump on the grenade of God's wrath and take it for us. That's not how the atonement and satisfaction works. That God has so much anger built up and someone must, someone must um, step in the way of that anger and take it on. That's how many view the sacrifice of Christ. That God was so angry with the world and he took out his anger on his son. That is not a faithful representation of the gospel witness and that's not what's meant by Christ's sacrifice. There is nothing pleasing in the aroma of that sort of action. There's nothing pleasing in that aroma of that sort of action. But rather, that which is pleasing to the Father, that which the, when, when the Father looks at His Son dying on the cross, what's most pleasing to Him is the love that Jesus Christ shows forth in offering His body that's what he finds most pleasing. Like, look how much my son loves me. That he will give his spotless body over to death. The sacrifice of Christ then is first and foremost a demonstration of Christ's great love for his father. Just as we can say what St. John says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... We can also say that the Son so loved the Father that He would give Himself over to experience pain and suffering. And likewise, the Father so loves the Son's demonstration of love by dying on the cross. Saints, the heart, the root of Christ's sacrifice, the root of Christ's passion is love. The very root of Christ's passion is love. Herman Bobbing says, in the entirety of Christ's person and work, this Christ is a revelation of God's love. This means, on one hand, it is a mistake to regard Christ's work solely of as a revelation of God's punitive justice. Jesus Christ and, and, and the eternal Son becoming man is not just a demonstration that God needs to be appeased. That, that God is just and we owe to Him this. 
And here Bobbing says, this will turn God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ into a pagan deity whose wrath must be averted by sacrifice. If the cross of Christ was only, only about satisfying the Father, then it would turn the Father into a pagan deity whose wrath must be overturned by sacrifice. But rather, the giving of His Son is a demonstration of love. For God so loved the world, not hated the world, that He gave His Son. Listen to how John Owen and Thomas Aquinas describe this. In the offering of himself, Jesus Christ, doing that which God was offended, was more delighted and pleased with all than he was displeased and offended with all the sins of all those that he suffered and offered himself for. God was more pleased with the obedience, offering, and sacrifice of his son than displeased with the sins and rebellions of all the elect. This is a Reformed theologian who's essentially quoting or summarizing a Roman Catholic theologian. Thomas Aquinas says the same thing. He properly atones for an offense who offers something which the offended one loves equally or even more than he detested the offense. But by suffering out of love and obedience, Christ gave more to God than what was required to compensate for the offense of the whole human race. In other words, saints, both these men ground the father's acceptance of his son's sacrifice not in the physical sufferings of his son but rather in the love and obedience of the son in the love and obedience of the son did you notice saints how much the father loves the son's obedience how much does the father love the son's obedience how much both men say that God loves Christ's act of obedience more than he detests sin Think of how much God detests sin. How holy God is. And He cannot even look upon sin. These men are saying that God loves Christ's sacrifice more than He detests the heinousness of sin. It's important to note, saints, that these men are not just giving their own opinion. But this is rooted in Scripture. That Christ loves or rather, the Father loves Christ's sacrifice and demonstration of love more than the sins of all humanity. 1 Samuel 15.22 Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. This is actually something that I myself, and I encourage you to store in your memory bank as you come each and every Sunday. That God loves obedience more than the fat of rams. More than the outward demonstration of religiosity. He desires proper heart posture. He desires your obedience. Think of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. What did God find most satisfying in that scene? Isaac is Abraham's beloved son. But what does God find most pleasing? When Abraham lies his son on the altar, almost about to kill him, what does God find most pleasing? It was Abraham's loving obedience. Because he obeyed God. 
Think of Adam in the garden, saints. What brought sin and death upon the entire human race? It was Adam's disobedience. It was Adam's disobedience. So what Christ does in the work of redemption is He offers a greater obedience than the obedience of Adam in the garden. He offers a greater obedience than Adam in the garden, than Abraham on Mount Moriah. Christ's obedience was so great that His perfect love for God in giving Himself over to death outweighed the evil of all humanity. This is what the Word of God says, saints. Romans 5.19 For us, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. In other words, Christ's obedience of love puts to death Adam's disobedience of pride. That's essentially what St. Paul is telling us. That the one obedience of one man put to death, annulled the disobedience of Adam in the garden. And why, saints? What's the root of obedience? It's love. Adam, at that moment, stopped loving God and started thinking for himself and started loving himself. Christ continued and always loved his Father. And the Father accepts the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus testifies of this, John 7, 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back up. Saints, why does the Father love the Son? Because He gives His life over. The highest form of love, saints, that you can show someone is death. That is the highest form of love that you can show to someone. But with regard to Christ's death, what pleases the Father most is not merely just Christ dying itself, but it's the manner in which Christ goes to the cross. It's not the death per se, but it's the manner in which He accepts the death. Jesus Christ does not kick and scream His way to the cross. Christ does not kick and scream His way to the cross. But our Lord freely accepted the cross. He willingly willed Himself to the cross. And saints, this is what He says time and time again throughout His earthly ministry. John 6.38, summarizing the, the mission of Christ. If you want a mission statement concerning Christ's mission, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That is the mission statement of Christ, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And God loves those who do His will, saints. God loves those who do His will. In fact, Jesus says in John 15 that He he locates the reason why the Father loves Him is because He obeys the Father. He says in John 15.10, If you keep My commandments, you will remain in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and remain in His love. You want to remain in the love of the Father? Obey the Father. Obey God. And what we have on the cross, saints, is, and you've heard it from myself and Pastor Antonio before, is that you have Jesus Christ, the cross being His pulpit, 
And He's preaching to us a sermon. He's teaching. It's one of Christ's greatest teaching moments, if not the greatest teaching moment. So what is He teaching us then? He's teaching us how to live as Christians. Well, how's, how is He teaching us how to live on the cross? By Him offering Himself up, He's teaching us that this Christian life is about one thing, loving and obeying God. Jesus Christ on the cross fulfills those two great commandments. Love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ does that. On the cross, Jesus Christ as the new Adam, on the new tree of life, He's teaching us how to live unto God. This is how we are to live, saints. The crucified life is the obedient life. Taking up your cross means to obey God. It's to do what Christ says above all else. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the type of Christians that we are to be, saints. That's what Christ's sacrifice of love teaches us. That we are to love God above all else, but also we are to obey Him. Lord, I love you. I'm going to show you hourly how much I love you by obeying you. As we come to a close, saints, we must remember that Christ's sacrifice is not only a demonstration of his love for his Father, but also Christ's sacrifice is his demonstration of love for us. Is his demonstration of his love for us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The cross is not just a revelation of Christ's love for his Father, but you, every individual in here that has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it is Him expressing that He not only knows your sin personally, but on the cross, your name was written on His heart and He was thinking of you. Jesus Christ shows this. So saints, where we do now? Love God and obey Him. Just as Christ did. All the way to death. Just as Christ loved and obeyed God all the way to death, we love and obey God all the, way, all the way to death. And what's the great promise? If we live this crucified life with Christ, what's the great promise? Well, we receive the same thing that Christ received. We talked about bodies and all that. We will receive a resurrected new life. So saints, you have a great reward promise for you. <clears throat> Heaven, of course, starts now. Because it began in our elder brother, Jesus Christ. We are now just awaiting our final, our final redemption. And that is our glorified bodies. Until then, let's love and obey our God. Let's pray.